You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we have all the fallout from Wild Card Weekend and we'll take you round the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with NFL analysts for Fox Sports and NFL Network, Charles Davis. Charles Davis, CD, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm great. Happy New Year, guys. Hope you're doing well. We are doing well, and we appreciate you coming back on the show. Let's start with the Saints. They won even though the Carolina defense played well against the run game. So as we look forward to what's coming up this weekend, how do you see the matchup of Kamara and Ingram against a very tough Minnesota defense? Well, look, you know Mike Zimmer, defense coordinator, is the head coach. We know that, right? But the defensive coordinator in him has got to be paramount in this game. And Zim's always relished these types of opportunities. I had them earlier this year, and they were getting ready to play Atlanta, in Atlanta. And it was the week after Julio Jones absolutely decimated Tampa Bay. What do you have, uh, 253 yards, two touchdowns, you know, double-digit catches, the whole deal. And so I asked him, I said, Zim, you know, look, this may be, you know, one of those crazy questions about that really doesn't have an answer, but, you know, what do you do to try and defend Julio Jones? I mean, seriously, this guy's secretariat. And he goes, look, uh, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, you know, uh, hmm. And you know how blunt Zim is, right? And he goes, well, let's just say we expect to defend him a tad differently than Tampa Bay did. And what he was saying is, I don't want to criticize anyone, but I can't believe they defended him that way. Well, in their game, Julio caught two passes. So for all that talk about Bill Belichick being that guy that takes away what you do best and takes away what teams do, everyone tries to do that. Mike Zimmer does it better than others. So with Kamara and Ingram, it's not just the run game. It's what do you do when they decide to use Kamara as a receiver? And I thought against Atlanta when I had New Orleans the last time, Kamara got really favorable matchups, especially against the safety count O'Neal. They took advantage of him until they didn't need it anymore. Who's going to be that matchup now when they get Kamara out into coverage? Is Harrison Smith the guy? He's normally a box safety. You know, is it going to be a linebacker who can run? Is it going to be an Anthony Barr? That seems like a mismatch for Kamara in his favor. Are they able to bring in an extra defensive back and keep him on the field and maybe run with five or six for most of the game? Remains to be seen. But I, I like the matchup. It's in Minnesota. And if Case Keenum keeps playing at the level he's played, I think Minnesota has an advantage in this game at home. That's my guy. You know, Charles, every time you come on this show, you enlighten this show tremendously when it comes down to talking about Case Keenum. And and here's the thing uh, that I like most about this matchup is while some are giving the edge, of course, to Drew Brees, which deservingly so because of everything that he's accomplished and the experience he has in the postseason, one component, I think, to Case Keenum that no one talks about enough is his elusiveness in the pocket and finding a soft spot to be able to deliver the football the way he needs to accurately. Will that be a big part of because Cameron Jordan, the way we've seen him play over the past few weeks, he can be a mess maker in the backfield of an offense. Do you see that being a big part of why this team could have some success with Case Keenum moving around? Yeah, I do, Cordell. And, you know, I think that what happens, in, and at the risk of me sounding like I'm pandering, for you as a, as a quarterback who had movement skills, 
I think sometimes it became overblown and we were saying runner versus quarterback. Right. People always fail to fail to get and, and you know, and listen, I'm in the media myself, so I have to count myself in that. We gotta make sure we get it right. It's those skills that you're talking about, movement skills. Does it buy you extra time? Does it move? Do you have that little deft slide step to your left or your right to evade a rusher and or find an open lane and sight lines downfield without actually turning into quarterback run game or taking off and escaping the pocket to run? Do you escape the pocket to extend the play and find someone downfield? I think that's what you're alluding to with Case Keenum, and it's been an underrated aspect of his game. And in fact, Mike Zimmer probably around game 13 or 14 of this season said that was the most underrated part of his game. He said that he missed in evaluating him before they took him on as a free agent, that he didn't really give it enough credence about his movement skills because that's been a big part of what they've done. And Pat Shermer, the offense coordinator, has geared the offense to take care of that for him, to put that in there and to make sure that that's a part of what they do. Because the first game those guys played with New Orleans in the season opener on Monday Night Football, right. Sam Bradford wrecked them from the pocket. I mean, he had a monster night, put up big numbers. I think that Thielen had 100 yards. I think that uh, Stephon um, uh, Diggs had 100 yards. I mean, they just absolutely destroyed them, but not because of movement skills, not because of Sam Bradford's elusiveness. They've had to go in a different direction with Keenum, and it's worked very well for them. So I think that that's going to be a part of it because you mentioned him. I mean, Cameron Jordan off the edge plays the run and the pass equally well. And you heard what he said about Matt Khalil, called him Speed Bump McGee. Well, that's getting a lot of attention because it's the playoffs. He said that to me weeks ago. He said, I treat all left tackles as a speed bump or all right tackles. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I come from either side. They're all speed bumps to me because he has extreme confidence. Well, we'll we'll see about the movement skills of Keenum because I have seen, and I'll stop here, I have seen Minnesota not block people deliberately and tell Case Keenum to take care of it by himself in the pocket, that you make the movement and the movement skills in order to keep this play alive. And if we don't block that guy, I get an extra blocker downfield when I throw either the screen game or the quick game so I can get a guy downfield. And I've seen it work for them throughout the season. We'll see how Keenum does in a high-leverage situation on Sunday, taking you across the league with Charles Davis. Charles Rams, undeniably one of the best regular season stories in all of football, but how much do you think they were impacted by a lack of postseason experience losing to Atlanta, or was that another media narrative? I think it's part of it. I don't think there's any way you get around it, Brian. I think it is, it is a part. And let's face it, maybe we as a media didn't give enough credence to the fact that Atlanta was the only team in the playoffs this year that wasn't in it last year. And I think that by them finding a way in, you know, my partner on on our games, Kevin Burkhardt, said about a month ago, he said, you know something? The Falcons remind me a little bit of the Cubs of last year, meaning the Cubs win win the World Series, and then the next year is just a slog, wasn't it? They got back to the playoffs, but, boy, it was difficult for them all the way through. Well, the Falcons went through the same thing this year. But it almost felt like to me Saturday night, that the Falcons actually, by getting in, is almost like they exhaled and found strength again. And they really carried it to them. So to me, yes, the experience and inexperience, that was part of it. But even bigger to me was Atlanta seemed to have their legs under them, had their, had their breath. They didn't have to worry about getting there anymore. They were back in a, in a place that was somewhat familiar. And the flip side is I wonder 
if Sean McVay, in reviewing it, I'd love to ask him, I'll probably ask him in the offseason, did he feel like he pressed Todd Gurley enough in the running game, or did he get away from it too fast? Let's go to the Jacksonville game. Um, I mean, this is a team that I think that no one truly wants to see uh, in the playoffs in the AFC, just because this defense has the mentality that they're going to be a great defense, but also if they have to be an offense, they can do the same. No noise about Blake Bortles and what, it, what his deficiencies are, but how do you explain only being able to have 87 points, uh, 87 yards thrown, and the team still ends up winning? Um, everything around you, because you mentioned the defense, Cordell, and that defense only gave up three points. I mean, they just played not above their heads. They played to, their, to the extent of their capabilities, it felt like, which, which are considerable. It's a very good defense I've been all year long. They're number two defense in the league behind Minnesota. So they played to that and were able to get around it. I also thought that while Blake Bortles only threw for 87 yards, I thought he did an excellent job with his legs to run for first downs, to run for key yardage, to not make the throw downfield that got them killed instead which has been part of his bugaboo throughout his career. So he ran for 88. And, yeah, it leads us to a lot of, wow, what are they going to do in Pittsburgh? But a quarterback's number one job is to find a way to win. And he did that. Now, they're going to need to do considerably more in Pittsburgh because Ben Roethlisberger is not going to throw five, five picks this time, right? I don't see Leonard Fournette getting 181 yards this time. So they're going to have to go to other things, and I do think that Blake Bortles got to hit some throws because I thought he was, you know, he was extremely inaccurate. It wasn't just one receiver's dropping it. He was really inaccurate in this game. But I will say this. I'm old enough to remember that Bob Greasy game against Oakland <laughs> where he threw for, what, 30-something? Hmm. Ran for whatever. I think it ran for 39, threw for 34. I mean, it was some incredibly small number. And that was back when they had Zonka and Kick and Mercury Morris, and they found a way to beat Oakland. So the anomalies are out there, and Blake Bortles was part of that on Saturday. And we know Earl Morrill's not walking through that door in Jacksonville. Charles, I'm the guy no. who usually goes with and the Earl, And Earl references. wouldn't have been running either, Brian. Earl no, either threw it or <laughs> that was it. He wasn't running it anywhere. I love when you jump in the hot tub time machine. Always great to have you on the program. When do you start making the transition to the path to the draft? Um, hopefully around uh, combine time, which would be, what, third week in February? Because so the path to the draft starts usually immediately after that. So keep my fingers crossed. I'll be a part of it. We'll see. Oh, come on, man. We got Senior Bowl stuff to talk about. There's always analysis as we get set for the draft in Arlington. Charles, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the postseason. Hope to see you in person when we get to Radio Row in the Super Bowl coverage coming up in Minnesota. Look forward to it. You guys take care of yourselves, okay? You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, this is Peter King from the MMQB. Listen to the NFL on TuneIn each Tuesday as I join Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart on NFL No Huddle. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown! We'll cover the hottest storylines from around the league and preview each week's biggest games. So catch NFL No Huddle, weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. 
We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast with NFL Network Insider and NFL on TuneIn contributor Ian Rappaport. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, it's official. The Bears hiring Chiefs offensive coordinator Matt Nagy to be their new head coach. Why do the Bears think this is potentially a good fit? Well, you know, what they were looking to do in their search was hire not John Fox. And there were a couple uh, possible options for not John Fox, but the most not John Fox was Matt Nagy. And I know they seriously considered John Filippo really, really liked him. Um, but to me, I mean, this, this really was all about Nagy. I mean, there's a couple things. He's young. He's done incredible work at the quarterback position. I mean, Alex Smith was the best quarterback, according to passer rating, in the NFL this year. Alex Smith was the best quarterback in the NFL this year. And Matt Nagy had a lot to do with that. Took over play-calling duties. We saw the success that Doug Peterson had, similar in in Andy Reid's situation. Um, so for the Bears, I mean, they they went young. They went with someone who can work with Ryan Pace, and um, I know they're pretty happy with this. Ian, when you look at uh, this team, this game, excuse me, this game with the Rams and the Falcons, uh, it looked like there was some some foot issues. The footing was was pretty bad. Uh, do you yeah. say that that was a big part of why maybe this both these teams or just the Rams couldn't have the success that we've been accustomed to seeing? Well, you know, it's interesting because the Rams should be accustomed to it. You know, and I know that field gets used, uh, and I understand that. But, um, you know, it's interesting. Footing is such a big deal, and I'm surprised the Rams weren't more prepared for it. And, look, I mean, you know, you have teams that have been there before, um, like the Falcons and the team that have not, and the Rams, unfortunately, uh, looked like a team that had not been there before, did not look like themselves. I know they had the week off the previous week, but – um, definitely look like looked like they um, sort of took a step back there, and um, I was surprised. You know, they looked like a team that were prompt to win, and they'll be good next year too. But you know, division probably gets harder as well. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, Ian. If the Chiefs view Alex Smith as an asset and are set to trade him in the off season, what are some potential landing spots? Well, um, I think the Cleveland Browns are one. Um, you know, they have John Dorsey. The first thing John Dorsey did when he was hired as the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals was trade for Alex Smith. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the first thing he did as the Cleveland Browns general manager. I mean, they need a quarterback. They're obviously going to draft one, but they'd like someone to come in and start and take some pressure off, you know, the quarterback, who, who, whoever they pick, and they have a ton of draft picks. So, you know, that would certainly make a lot of sense. The Arizona Cardinals and you know, we'll see which head coach they end up having. But um, Steve Kahn does the personnel evaluation. He called on Alex Smith last time he was available. So, obviously, they like him. Um, you know, the Denver Broncos will have some interest. Not sure if the Chiefs would trade him into the division or not care. Um, but those, those are some teams to keep an eye on. When you look at this win that the Tennessee Titans end up getting, uh, how much do you think that, that come-from-behind victory down by 18 end up saving Mike Malarkey's uh, opportunity to be the head coach of the football team? Well, it, it it definitely did. Uh, it definitely did. Uh, you know, from my understanding, they were they were really set to move on. Um, you know, they they really were set to move on and uh, you know make a run potentially. Josh McDaniels. I think that was something a lot of people were talking about. And you know, Malarkey loses three straight and then saves his job with a win to go to the playoffs. Saves his job again after being down several touchdowns in the playoffs. Can't fire him now. Um, you know, I'd be curious to see what he does at offensive coordinator to help the the uh, learning process for Marcus Mariota. Now that was a lot of the frustration. 
but he definitely staved off a firing, that's for sure. Ian, since you alluded to Josh McDaniels as the coaching interviews continue, what's the likelihood the Patriots are going to lose both of their coordinators and McDaniels and Matt Patricia? Is it a done deal Patricia's going to Detroit? I wouldn't say it's a done deal. I mean, it's it's clear uh, it's clear he's a favorite. You know, I wouldn't say it's something that's done, but you know, I was told their search is ongoing, so they're going to keep at it. Um, not sure they have any other interview scheduled. I know they have not talked to Steve Wilkes just yet. Um, potentially they get that done. Um, but, I mean, it, you know, for, for for Matt Patricia, I think there's there's a lot to like there for the uh, – for the Detroit Lions, and if that ends up being the the guy, then you know they keep the offensive side of the ball in place. Blake Bortles, he only throws, he only what get eighty seven yards passing. How does this team move forward with the quarterback position after this season? Regardless if they go to the AFC Championship game or wherever, do they change at that position? I think they're open to it, but you know my understanding is the Bills are much more likely to part with their quarterback than the Jaguars are to part with their quarterback. First of all. You know, they can still draft one. They can still draft one high. They can still look at, you know, improving that position. Um, I don't get the sense that they're a team that wants to, you know, bring in a high-priced free agent quarterback. I just I don't, I don't get that sense. Um, you know, Bortles is not perfect, but, he, you know, if he can go out there and not lose the game, then with that defense and that running game, they'll be in the mix. Um, was definitely asked to – I mean, you saw what they were doing out there on Sunday. was definitely asked to not lose the game. Did that pretty well by basically not doing anything. Um, you know, his numbers are better than Alex Smith's were early in his career. I'll be curious which way it, it goes for him, but, but you know, definitely could potentially still be in the mix for the, uh, uh, for the Jaguars. Ian, great information as always. We look forward to chatting with you again later this week on NFL No Huddle. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell to metaphorically slash a few head coaches and players across the league. Cordell Stewart earned the nickname of Slash for his sensational versatility on the field, playing quarterback and wide receiver at a very high level. But that moniker also brings another dimension, a competitive edge that won't settle for losing. So if your favorite team is underachieving, Cordell is ready to present solutions. Buckle up your chin strap because a coaching staff and some key players are about to get slashed. Okay, let's kick things off with the Chiefs' playoff debacle against the Titans. You have a lot of targets to potentially choose from. Where do you want to start? I tell you what, this Kansas City Chiefs football team was was one of the better teams at the beginning of the season. And to be able to watch this team actually not play up to the level of, of expectations kind of throws me to the left side of, of all categories as far as frustration is concerned. Here's a team that gave up 18 points in the second half. Being up by 18, gave 18 points up. I know they lost Travis Kelsey 
uh, to a concussion, which somewhat end up changing the complexity of how they actually call the plays on this football team. But let me give you something with Andy Reid here. Throughout the season, when it comes down to what Kareem Hunt has been able to do, he's averaged on a year. He's averaged 17 touches on the year is what he's averaged. And I, and I thought at the end of the day, being able to get 83 to 84 yards per game was more than enough. But what did he get in the first half? He only had single-digit carries in the first half, finished with 11 carries for 42 yards. You thought because Travis Kelsey was out of the football game that this team would have an opportunity to start running the football just a little bit more, but they weren't being able to do it. The last time this team actually ended up winning a playoff game, going all the way back. That's six straight losses, by the way, with the Kansas City Chiefs being at home at Arrowhead Stadium. But when it comes down to the last time this team actually won a playoff game, that goes all the way back to Joe Montana back in 1994 when this team had an opportunity to win a playoff game. And ever since then, this team has been been pretty darn horrible, uh, to say the least. You would think because DeMarco Murray was out, you would think because you only had Derrick Henry there to carry the football, this team ended up doing just the opposite of what we've seen them do defensively, which is making good stops, and they didn't. He actually ran for over 100 yards against this against this football team, which arguably Derrick Henry is one of the best backs throughout this entire season, finishing a game in the fourth quarter. I mean, how about the batted pass from Darrell Rivas back to the quarterback and Marcus Mariota, who end up catching, end up scoring a touchdown, basically threw a touchdown to himself. I thought that was phenomenal. But this team in Kansas City, they had the game by the they had the game by the throat, literally, to be able to to make a great run into doing something extremely special. But here it is: eleven carries for forty-two yards, for three point eight yards per carry over the year. There were seventeen carries by this offense with Kareem Hunt. Averaging 4.9 yards per carry. And this team end up losing the football game uh, very badly to a team that no one gave an opportunity to. Marcus Mariota took the game over in the second half. We saw what Derrick Henry did in the fourth quarter alone. And hey, I tell you what, Andy Reid, why aren't we talking about what Andy Reid has done in the postseason with this Kansas City Chiefs football team? He, to me, you know what? He's just like Marvin Lewis. All he can do is get to the postseason, but he can't close the deal. The last time he had success was with Donovan McNabb, number five. That was the last time he had some true success getting to the NFC Championship games as well as getting to a Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, traveling to Jacksonville, and they end up coming up short on that football game. Phenomenal display of football by T.O., by the way. But this is Andy Reid. You know what? The person who gets slashed in this, it's not the offense, not just the offense alone, not just the defense alone, but I think the play calling by Andy Reid. I never thought I would say this about Andy Reid because he's really been good throughout his career and especially getting someone like an Alex Smith, which I don't understand why people are are killing Alex Smith there in Kansas City. I thought Alex Smith played some of the best football that he could possibly play. Why didn't they run the football more in the second half? Why didn't they give the ball to Kareem Hunt just a little bit more to keep that offense that was actually finding their way in the second half by forcing themselves and putting and opposing their will against this team. I think it was like, what, 11 to 12 play drive on the first uh, drive that they had coming out in the second half end up resulting into a touchdown by that guy named Derrick Henry. 23 rushes, 156 yards and a touchdown. A touchdown that is Brian Weber that end up causing him to beat this Kansas City Chiefs football team. So you know who gets slashed? Andy Reid. You get slashed by yours truly. The guy right here. The guy better known, a.k.a. Slash. Back to you.
Not going to happen, but are you saying it's time for a coaching change in Kansas City? Coaching change is not necessary because if, if you see Marvin Lewis still with his job in a two-year extension, Andy <laughs> Reid can be a lifer, okay? He's vested there in Kansas City. He never has to leave Kansas City. I'm basically saying if we're going to say this about Marvin Lewis, we need to bring this up about Andy Reid because what has he done? He's done a phenomenal job of getting to the postseason but hadn't been able since Donovan McNabb getting his first win in the postseason and moving forward to the next level. Spend a moment on Alex Smith. Clearly, he's going to be playing for another team next year. And we discussed earlier with Ian Rappaport, potential landing spots. Arizona's looking for a quarterback. John Dorsey used to be the GM in Kansas City. He's now guiding the Browns. Let's say Alex gets the misfortune because he's not going to have a choice to select the team. Let's say he gets sent to Cleveland. How much better Hmm. can Alex Smith make the Browns next year? Career ends. As soon as he signs the contract, his career is over with. Nothing good is going to happen. And who's the head coach? Hugh Jackson? Done. Give him to Jacksonville. Blake Bortles will get to that dude. Bruh, send him down if anywhere you would love to send him or even Arizona. Give him a chance to go down to Jacksonville. Take this team that's a really good football team. I think his ability to scramble and make plays with his feet, I think, helps what they do on the defensive side of the football, which it helps create those methodical drives and plays into that very fast and feast or famine defense. Not even talking about his throwing capability. I'm just talking about the ability to move in the pocket, which is something that Blake Bortles cannot do. Send him down there. Give him a chance to win something because I think he plays well enough to do it, but at the same time, when you need him to take games over, he cannot do it. So it's like he needs some help. Got a running game, have a run defense, pass defense. Um, one of the better pass defense, top five pass defense in the National Football League down there in Jacksonville. Allow Alex Smith to go down to Jacksonville somewhere like that, or even Arizona. I think there's enough older players on this football team or a community and even organization that understand the older players to where Alex Smith is not old as an old, when I say older, uh, like a like a, a Carson, like a Carson Palmer, not that kind of old. I mean more of as, as an older far as a veteran is concerned, uh, getting to that time in his career where I honestly think defense does matter. Uh, he's 13 years in the league. Uh, he's 30, 33 years old right now. Actually turns 34 this May. Uh, I think he's still with how the game has evolved today. Not too many padded practices in the sense of full pads and hitting. Everything is a pass-happy league. They're protecting the quarterback when it comes to hits. They're protecting the quarterbacks when it comes to not just in the pocket, but when scrambling. That buys him an extra two to three years. The question is, who would grab him? I like two teams. Jacksonville, Arizona. How about Buffalo if they places. move on from Tyrod Taylor? And then Buffalo, for me, I think he'd probably get a lot of money from Buffalo. You know, uh, I would say probably a three-year deal worth 60-something, maybe 70-something million dollars, maybe almost half to three-fourths of that money guaranteed. Three, three to four years. I mean, I think this team has three to four more good years of play, and that's even with Calais Campbell being in the middle, being that he's one of the older guys, and if, if not the oldest guy on this defense, let alone the team, I think he can actually um, do something like that anywhere he goes, whether it's Buffalo, uh, I mentioned Calais Campbell, but going to Buffalo or even to Jacksonville or even to Arizona. So he has a lot of football left. It's unfortunate for him. The narrative around Alex Smith is is he can't finish games. Right. 
You know, and, and, and that's unfortunate for him because I think the numbers and what he put up in this last game, 24-33, 264, two touchdowns, by the way. And a lot um, of drop passes, too, that were not his responsibility. Passes. I mean, right out the gate, you had Tariq Hill, who dropped the first two passes. Right out the gate. First two passes thrown was to Tariq Hill. Couldn't, well, not the first two, but two of those passes that he had early in the game because I think he finished the first half with something like, what, 9 of uh, 13 or something like that in the first half? I mean, which was almost excellent if you get those two balls caught by Tariq Hill. But you know what? That's why you play the game, and, and it's unfortunate uh, that Alex Smith is actually taking on the brunt of some of these issues. But the offensive coordinator has gone to Chicago, and you wonder why he's gone to Chicago. Well, he's got to go. What you, Kyle you, Shanahan you did. You have to take the head coaching opportunity, obviously. Well, but, I mean, Kyle Shanahan kind of left in the same situation, right? Both these coaches in the Super Bowl and this playoff game had one thing in common. They did not run the football when having a lead. So while having to take that job, I would too. I wouldn't want to sit there and deal with that, knowing that they're probably going to get rid of Alex Smith and they're going to have to deal with Patrick Mahomes, and you didn't run the football. So the best thing and the easiest thing for you to do is get on that, Nick, that the midnight train to Chicago or, or, or even San Francisco. Well, you know, Jed York is a mastermind, by the way. But Alex Smith is not his fault. I think he played as well as he possibly could. Didn't make the great plays that you would have wanted him to make in the second half, but he's not making the calls. You start running the football just a little bit more, just to slow him down. I think you put yourself in position to have a chance to win this game and go to the next level. But they're home, like us, listening to us probably. And the home of the Chiefs. That place. No home field advantage. Apparently, we get to the postseason, so it's time to leave Alex Smith alone. Okay, you mentioned Blake Bortles. You know the stat. 12 of 23. 87 passing yards. He ended the game with 88 rushing yards, something you rarely see in a postseason matchup. You want to carve him up, or what else stood out to you in a game that was challenging at times to watch when Jacksonville edged Buffalo yesterday? Well, when you watch when you watch that game, it was it was nerve wracking. Um, and then you bring in poor Nathan Peterman to try to come in, and, and this was the guy that Coach McDermott actually put in against the Chargers. There was that hit trot out there, and Jalen Ramsey actually does what he's supposed to do: is take it. Uh, but this was one of those games where probably the two worst quarterbacks with throughout the conference was playing in that one particular game. Uh, you, had, had, you had an opportunity to see Tyrod Taylor play. He gets slammed to the ground. He gets concussed. He comes out of the football game. But Blake Bortles, come on, dude. I mean, you saw how many flat routes that he missed when throwing the football. You saw, I mean, he missed even throwing the screen. I, I think if, if you watched his footballs when they were thrown, they were like ducks. You remember how Peyton Manning looked after he, he, his, he was – uh, that last year he had with the Denver Broncos and he was throwing those those little quack quack ducks at times. Honestly, it was that bad. I mean, I'm not comparing both these guys to one another, but the throws. You don't know who hand it came off of in that last year for Peyton Manning, let alone looking at the ball that uh, Blake Bortles threw. I think this was something that I said all year long could have been the Achilles heel of, for this football team, and that's the lack of production uh, from a Blake Bortles. But if he doesn't turn the football over, which guess what he did, Brian? He did not turn the football over. And he only complete, he only threw for 87, under under 100 yards, 87 yards passing. This is crazy to say that this team still can win spite of him. Even though he threw the touchdown in the latter part of that football game to get him up ahead uh, to be on top 10 to 3. Uh, but Blake Bortles, man, you know, if he's not the luckiest player of all time, I tell you what, he, he has a... I don't know if he has a, 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 
let's just say an elephant trunk or something next to him that turned up the right way. Horseshoe, or, perhaps as well, or right? A horseshoe yeah. or something. Something he has, uh, uh, just a four-leaf clover. He has something working <laughs> with him uh, because he's having an opportunity to be one of the luckiest men on earth uh, to not just play good football by the defense and the running game, uh, but I would say. Uh, by him not being able to be as efficient as they need as him to be. As efficient, Cordell, he was atrocious. How in the world can Jacksonville bad. bring him back next year? Yeah, that, that's why I said Alex Smith needs to needs to go on that. Need to take a trip uh, to that part of or the country. Or Eli Manning, or Kirk Cousins, anybody. Jacksonville anybody. cannot ride with Blake Bortles next year. They can't. But he, this is what's crazy. Why we keep beating him up? The Joker steady with him. You're right. He won and again. It falls into the category of, of winning, regardless of how bad it is. It still falls in the category of winning. And if you listen to the defensive players and what they say about what's going on on offense, they say they, they know people are trying to tear these guys apart. And what they're not going to do is allow that to happen. And that which that's what you really need to hear. Okay, that's times the public that voice. Cordell, take me inside the locker room. What's that defense saying about their quarterback? Hey, I, I mean – some guys are probably feeling as if if he can only this is what they're probably saying because they're winning. They never won before. So they, they don't they don't know. If they knew what winning was really all about in the playoffs, I think they would have the right to say that. But I think in the back of their minds, they said, if this dude just don't turn it over, if you can throw for eighty seven yards, <laughs> don't screw and it not up. Not turn the football over one time and we'll, throw a touchdown we'll win late the, the game. game for you. We'll get it Come done. Come on. They'll get it done. And so here it is. I don't think if anything. I think it's sincere when these guys say uh, things such as, you know, they're trying to divide us. Let's just keep on. Let's keep on pounding. Let's just keep on playing. I believe that because it makes the defense. This goes all the way back to the 2000 Super Bowl winning team in the Baltimore Ravens with Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer was just as bad. And that team won the Super Bowl with a running game and one of the best, if not the best defense in the history of the game with Ray Lewis along with Rod Woodson at the safety position, having a tight end in the Hall of Famer, uh, Shannon Shannon Sharp uh, being over there with Jamal Lewis as the tailback, who argued, I think he had a 2,000-yard rushing year uh, that season. So that was the performance we saw Trent Dilfer put up throughout, throughout that entire season when they made a run to winning the Super Bowl. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. But I hate to be the person to have to go to sleep and wake up and know that we still have Blake Bortles after the season is over with as our quarterback going into the 2018 season because that is a long time to deal with that much that much of having that much of anxiety and frustration and unaware just I mean it's just a whole entire thought process of understanding this dude only threw for 87 yards and he still won the game I slashed the Buffalo Bills defensive coach Frazier for not being able to make those stops I'm going on and on about this guy and Blake Bortles but he's not the problem the problem was the defense couldn't do anything and this was arguably one of the best defenses in the National Football League going all the way back to this the beginning of the year when it came to uh, a turnover ratio this team was plus 17 which was the best in the National Football League and I couldn't tell you where they are right now because it doesn't matter I, one thing I do know they're at home and they couldn't stop Blake Bortles after only throwing 87 yards didn't even reach 100 yards right passing Buffalo Coach McDermott I'm giving you a little bit of this because I wanted to slash you anyway you've been slashed by your guy Yours truly, a.k.a. Slash. Back to you. Although in general, don't you feel like Buffalo was a year ahead of schedule when they made the trades in August? Some people thought they might be hitting the reset button to make the playoffs for the first time since 1999, Cordell. Still a great achievement. I know they fell short. They had opportunities. But Buffalo's got to be feeling good about at least getting to the playoffs. Well, here's my thing with Buffalo. And it was, I said the worst case scenario is going to be 8-8, eight eight, best case scenario 9-7. 
when looking at that division, I thought Miami was going to be the second best team, kind of going back and forth with them in Buffalo. Uh, but I know they took some money away from Tyrod Taylor, so some became very, I uh, just say, very conscientious of it, thinking that they won't make it because of something like that, meaning they don't believe in him. But I thought this team played well enough to get themselves in this position, but not good enough to go on to the next level. So uh, this was, I think, a good uh, thing to happen. I think it's been since 1995 that this team actually won a playoff game, and it's been 1999 since they made it to the playoffs in the Buffalo Bills. So um, here's a football team that I think with everything that's happened to them, if you watched anything on NFL Network or even ESPN, you saw all the fan out fans out there waiting until the team came back and was happy for them. Uh, and, you know, again, when we start talking about teams and their expectations, you got to look at the history of the organization before we assume that they're going to be boasting, you know, because maybe the defense is playing better or maybe the offense is playing better. But this team hadn't accomplished much of anything in an extremely long time. So to get this accomplishment... You know, we had a chance to see Thurman Thomas, you know, Andre Reid. These guys are, we haven't seen those dudes in forever, you know, in a sense of relevance to what their organization has been able to do since they were a part of uh, their runs of going to Super Bowls and not being able to complete the task. So uh, it, it woke up a lot of, uh, I think, old memories in, in a positive way by making it to the postseason, but the same old, same old, not being able to finish and complete the task. So with that being said, again, while this football team, I thought, played well all year in the sense of what they were up against, I still say Coach McDermott and his defense by Coach Frazier, I think they deserve to be slashed, again, by your boy, a.k.a. Slash, for allowing this team to beat you with the quarterback only throwing for 87 yards. But at least we can no longer say Buffalo with the longest drought in all of football having oh, not yeah. reached prior to yesterday, the postseason since 1999. We also talked about the notion it's hard to defeat the same team three times in one year, but the Saints got it done. Wildly entertaining game beating Carolina. Got about five minutes left in the segment. You got a few thoughts on what went down yesterday inside the Superdome? I tell you what, man. That, you know, the Saints, I thought, did everything that they were trying to do. Uh, when you think of the, the success that they were having, whether it was Kamara, um, Rather, it was Thomas. I mean, Thomas is having a, an electrifying career over the last two years. Let's just go over the last two years, being able um, to put up Michael Thomas, eight catches for 131 yards, didn't have a touchdown, but he's been the go-to player on his offense over the last two years, having 196 receptions, uh, which is the best in, in NFL history for a player in his first two years, even better than Antonio Brown, what he's been able to do throughout his career in two seasons combined. Uh, this is this is pretty remarkable. You think of that two-headed monster, we like to use that as a cliche way of, of talking about two backs out of the backfield, Mark Ingram and, and as well as Alvin, Alvin Kamara, I think while only being able uh, to put up a combined of 45 yards, I thought was still good. I thought Cam Newton played one of his better games of the year, uh, being able to go 24-40 for 87 yards. You saw him get hot in the second half. This is where my issue comes with all that great stuff that we're talking about. And then also Cam took a big, big hit in the latter part of the game when eluding a tackler and ended up getting met by another. And uh, now there's questions about after running to the sideline, uh, was he concussed? And I thought he just fell to the ground just to get a timeout, an official timeout, so they can get um, the other player, Derek Anderson, who's coming in as the backup to fill in. But here's my issue that I have. Sometimes arrogance and being a good coach can sometimes screw some things up. 
Uh, and, 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 you know, as much as I love Coach Payton, and he, he knows it, I watched him win in an interview. He couldn't even get it out well enough. Uh, but you put everything on the line in the fourth quarter with a little over two minutes left to go where you're trying to put the ball in the hands of a Michael Thomas and also your your future Hall of Fame quarterback, you put everything on the line that you've accomplished all year in that one particular play. If you watch Cam Newton, and if all of a sudden they don't catch this interception, the ball goes to the minus, what, 32-yard line or so, they all of a sudden have, they're on the plus 47-yard line. This Carolina Panthers team is, and they could have actually went down the football field and scored a touchdown because the Saints wasn't making the stops they needed to make against this defense. I mean, you saw Greg Olson with some big completions and passes thrown to him uh, to be able to keep the chains alive and keep the chains moving. You saw Christian McCaffrey being able to get some big catches, having six catches for 101 yards in that game. Also, Funches, knowing that his shoulders was injured, he still was able to get four catches for 79 yards. When you look at that, it makes you wonder what was coach Sean Payton thinking about? Would you prefer to punt the ball and pin them inside the 10-yard line and give them 90 to 80 yards to travel as opposed to accidentally almost putting them? Because you saw Coach Ron Rivera told the guy who caught the interception, just drop the ball like he was supposed to know that. Come on, you catch an interception, you have a chance to catch an interception, that's a great thing. But yet you start pressing because you want opportunities. I thought they called timeout at the right time to the point where it got down to the last two minutes of the game that you end up giving this Carolina Panthers team that was hot in their last two drives an opportunity uh, to maybe go down and beat this team. So I'm sitting here watching the game. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I have to go head on, even though they were victorious in this game, the New Orleans Saints, looking at the time picking you and the Panthers already have a new a new owner. The New Orleans Saints that was winning clever. three like straight that. games. How about that? That's a team that won three, three straight games against this Panthers football team. Uh, when thinking about Mr. Richardson actually putting this team up for sale, well, you know what? I think the New Orleans Saints owns them now because they've won three straight games. So I have to maybe halfway slash Coach Sean Payton for actually coming up with the, the brilliant idea to give so many ulcers. And, and, and also some frustration and yelling and screaming by going for it on fourth and two on the minus 47-yard line, putting the entire season at stake when this offense with Cam Newton was on fire every time he went to the sideline talking to Luke Keekley, just get me the ball back. And what did he say in the huddle when watching his mouth talking to Let's just get the ball back again. Let's just get the ball back. And we, I, we all can sit here and say, if they were on the plus 40-yard line, Carolina Panthers, you better believe the Saints would have lost that football game. I would put everything on the line to say they would have lost if this team would have gotten that football on the 47-yard line. But we'll never know because they did a good job of stopping them from getting past the 50. And um, it goes to show you, man, just play sometimes in those cases the odds of allowing a defense that was playing some really good football but couldn't make some stops in the red zone an opportunity to do some of the things that you need them to do, which was make stops because defenses do win championships. And you know what? They still end up getting it done. But it's just that sequence of of decision-making. It just drove me nuts. And I'm looking at Sean Payton. He was having one of those those moments like, I don't give a bleep moment. I'm doing what I want to do, and I'm putting it in the hands of my quarterback. Sometimes you got to know when to do it. Sean Payton's been around for a long time. Drew Brees has been around for a long time. I'm not here to question what this team is capable of doing. But I know one thing. What we saw on television was pretty darn scary. They came away with the win. They were lucky. They got away with one. 
But if they had to do it again, I guarantee you, they probably would not go for it on fourth and two. They would pooch punt it, get them inside the 10-yard line, hopefully, force them to have to go 90-plus yards to score the touchdown because I think the clock would have run out. And it, it would have come down to having to kick a field goal, maybe. It would have been, or even a Hail Mary pass, and a field goal wouldn't have been enough because they were down uh, by five points and they needed to score, worst-case scenario, to win that football game. So I give Sean Payton I have a slash. mini slash. He gets a mini slash. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.